Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from Daniel chapter 5. Verses 13 through 31, this can be found on page 881 of your pew Bible. During an idolatrous feast in the Babylonian king's palace, a mysterious hand appears and writes a cryptic message on the wall. Daniel is summoned to interpret the message, which describes God's judgment on King Belshazzar and the end of the Babylonian empire. A reading from Daniel chapter 5, beginning with the 13th verse. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, in whose all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tikel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. 
being about 62 years old. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I love the word of God. I love the Bible. Is there anybody else here who loves the Bible? You know, I can hardly imagine my life without the influence of the Bible. I've been saturated in God's written word really since I was in utero. The influence of this book on my life is incalculable. The influence of this book on our church is profound. The influence of the Bible, even on our society, is really amazing. Can you imagine your life? Can you imagine our church? Can you imagine our society without the written word of God? Just imagine it for a moment. If all the Bibles went away, no more BibleGateway.com, no more printed word, no more Bible app on the iPhone. If the word of God was removed from our society, if we were living in a post biblical truth society, what would change? Wouldn't that be so different? I bring this up because we're still in our Strangers and Exiles sermon series. It's about four weeks for us. It seems a little long. It was 70 years for the people of God. (laughs) We've been looking at this evocative image of the people leaving Jerusalem. Can we look at that again, Max? We've looked at this three weeks in a row, and it's obviously an artist's depiction, but it shows the people of God leaving Jerusalem under the command of these Babylonian dudes here on the bottom left. And they're leaving everything behind. You can see Jerusalem in smoke and embers as they leave. And one of the things that the people left behind was the written word of God, the Torah scrolls. Their connection with God was through the written word, just like it is for us. Another thing they left behind, think about this, was the Ten Commandments tablets. The tablets that God wrote on in the wilderness were kept in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and now they're leaving. They're going off to Babylon where they didn't regard the Torah or the Ten Commandments or the God of the Bible. The Ten Commandments were so important. Look what it says in Exodus 31, verse 18. This is way back when God gave the people those covenant tablets. When the Lord had finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. God's divine presence, his finger came down and carved the covenant-keeping commandments into those stone tablets. And as the people are leaving Jerusalem, they're leaving those tablets behind. They're missing an action. Who knows where the Torah scrolls are? Who knows where the Ten Commandments tablets are? The written word of God in the rearview mirror gone. Imagine living in a post-truth environment, in the godless, lawless society of Babylon. Well, let's find out how it went for them as they found themselves in Babylon where there was no regard for the written word of God or the God of the Bible. We're going to back up just a little bit previous to the verses that John read for us, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see how it's going in this lawless, godless place that the Israelites find themselves in. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar, this is the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king we encountered last week. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. This party was quite the rager. 
Picture a college frat party times a thousand. Some of you don't have to imagine too much. You live through that. <laughs> Picture the New York City disco scene. Picture the Playboy Mansion. This is just lawlessness and godlessness, just a rager of a party, and we're about to see God breaking through with his truth. We're about to see God entering into this lawless, godless scene. And when I was a teenager being raised in a Christian school, I was told, don't party too hard like Belshazzar, because God <laughs> might appear with writing on the wall and condemn you. But here's the thing. It's what happens in the party. It's not so much the partying that God has to reveal his truth against. It's what they do there. Look what they do, starting in verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Imagine you're at some rager of a party and somebody says, hey, guess what? I burned down Stanwich Church, but I brought the communion cups. Let's do shots. Yeah. Right? I'm offended by that thought. Verse 3, then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. See what they're doing here? These vessels, these items that were used, that were designed to worship Yahweh, to worship the God of the Bible, the one true God revealed in his written word, these vessels designed to worship him are now being used to worship false gods, the God of gold and silver, bronze and wood. God sees all of this post-truth lawlessness and he decides to enter in and do something about it. Now, I was trying to think of a modern example of something so offensive like this to God where a, a, a something designed to worship the God of the Bible was used for the absolute wrong purpose. And I remembered back when I was in seminary I was interning for a church in New York City, Calvary St. George's Church. It was two buildings, one congregation. Before I got there, there had been a third church, a third church building. But they had run into financial hardship, and so they sold one of their buildings, church building, to a developer. And that developer sold that building to a nightclub owner. It's called the Limelight. I was waiting for the recognition sound. Some of you know this club. And um, allegedly, what I heard when I got to this church was, um, of course, they had regretted selling that church building because of what it turned into. But what I had heard, allegedly, is that on the opening night of the limelight, knowing this was a church turned into a nightclub, there were advertisers handing out flyers to try to get people to come to this new club. And on the flyers, it said, come dance on the grave of God. You feel that? Feel that offense? Something built for the glory of God now being used as a, as a nightclub. This is probably what the original readers of Daniel chapter 5, the feeling we all just felt when I said that, this is what they would have felt. Belshazzar bringing out the vessels from the temple to party with and to worship false gods. Now, 
What does God do? And there's no written word. There's no Torah scrolls. There's no Ten Commandments that says you shall have no other idols before me. So how will God break through? How will God's truth break through? The finger of God had written on the tablets, and now there's all this lawlessness. Look with me at verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. The king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Yeah, I'll bet they did. Talk about sobering up quick. The original readers of Daniel chapter 5 would have known exactly what's going on here. The finger of God had carved into the Ten Commandments things like, you shall have no other idols, no other gods before me, and no idols. And now they had abandoned all of that written truth of God's word, and they were worshiping false gods with the very vessels designed to worship Yahweh. And that very same hand of God breaks through and it writes on the wall. God's truth prevailed, God's truth broke through as it always does. Now, we're going to skip a lot of the verses here. There's so much going on in Daniel. I hope you'll go home and read it on your own and study it and learn about it in your life groups. I'm going to skip most of the interpretation piece of Daniel in this book. And I want to go right to verse 25 to find out what exactly that hand wrote on the wall of this rager party. Verse 25. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Pares, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In fact, that very night, as we heard, King Belshazzar would die, his nation would be divided. So the truth that was written on the wall came true that very night. Now, there's this phrase in the middle, you've been weighed and found wanting. It's as if God in his truth declaration breaking through into the scene says, oh, hey, King Belshazzar, you think you're hot stuff, huh? Well, if I measure you against the perfect law, my perfect written truth, you don't measure up. It's like God put a measuring stick against the wall and said, you don't measure up, Belshazzar. And this made him terrified. It made him tremble. And in verse 23, I am going to read one verse of the interpretation. What was really going on? What had Belshazzar done that made him not measure up, that made God come in with that finger of truth, writing on the wall saying, it's not adding up for me here, buddy. Verse 23, it really reveals what's going on in the man's heart. But you, it says, have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You see what you've done, Belshazzar? You've put yourself above me. And this is what I really want us to lean into for a moment here this morning, church. Because if that's really what the offense was, what Belshazzar didn't measure up to, that he put himself above God, then we all should pay attention to this because sin causes all of us to do that. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Indeed, to put ourselves above God. That's what the law reveals. That's what the written word reveals to us. That party could have kept going all night. If not for the revealed measuring stick, they would have not known they were doing anything wrong. 
In fact, in, in Romans 3, verse 20, it says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. In other words, no one measures up, according to the New Testament, by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see? I wouldn't know how self-absorbed I am if not for somebody revealing it to me through the word. I have a story to illustrate this. I was in Lens Crafters some years ago in the Stanford Mall, back when Lens Crafters was still in Stanford Mall. And I had got a new prescription for some new glasses. It was the first time in my life I was going to wear glasses. So I took a lot of time picking out the frames. A lot of time. <laughs> and I was in the Lens Crafters for at least 45 minutes obsessing over which frames were best for my face. And... I had it narrowed down to two frames. One was kind of plain looking, and one had a little personality. And I was really leaning towards the one with personality, but I wasn't quite going for it. And the salesman I was talking to, he was really going along with me for the whole journey of obsessing over what frames were right. He said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, so you stand in front of hundreds of people every week? You should look good. I said, yeah, yeah, I should look good. So I went with the ones with a little more personality. A couple minutes later, I was sitting down at the little table where the woman measures where the lenses go inside the frames. And this woman was so dear. She's from Alabama, a very churched woman. And she was looking at the two frames that I had decided between. And she said, um, so you're going with those frames, huh? And I said, yeah. Then she said, I heard you tell him you're a pastor? I said, yep. And she said, seems to me, pastor, you would want your congregation focused on the Lord, not on you. Whew. Ton of bricks. She weighed me and found me wanting. She might as well have written it on the wall, you know. Oh, you call yourself a pastor, huh? You're not measuring up. I felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit in that moment. This, this woman, this churched woman, had watched me for 45 minutes, <laughs> obsessed over how I look. It was mortifying. I don't know if any of you have been there. Now, God's truth, unless it was revealed to me, I would have gone through that whole day just thinking about myself, basically. But she revealed this truth to me, just like the handwriting on the wall, God's written word. That's one of the things we would lose if we lose the Bible. We would lose this conviction, this measuring stick of God's law showing us that we don't measure up. That's the conclusion of the sermon. Go home and be discouraged. <laughs> no, there's more. Because there's more to the story. God wasn't done writing the story. What we learn in the New Testament is that there is someone who measures up. And I want to show you this scene from the Gospels that has everything, I think, to do with Daniel chapter 5. A woman was caught in adultery. Pastor David brought this out in his sermon a few weeks ago, too, but it's worth bringing out again. This woman was caught in adultery. She was caught in sin, kind of like Belshazzar, caught in sin. 
And in John 8, verse 5, we pick up the story. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. This is what the Pharisees who brought this woman out in front of Jesus are saying. In other words, it's written, Jesus, it's written in God's truth. She deserves to die, just like Belshazzar deserved to die for his offensive sin. Is it written or not? This woman deserves it. So what do you say? They asked Jesus. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Now watch what happens. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Why does that appear in the Gospels? What did he write? I've read essays and book chapters speculating about what he wrote on the ground. But here's the thing. If John, the gospel writer, really wanted us to know what he wrote in the dirt, he would have told us. It's not so much what he wrote, it's that he wrote. Because the very finger of God was writing once again. This is the same finger that wrote on the Ten Commandments, revealing God's written truth there. It's the same finger that appeared on the wall in King Belshazzar's feast. Now it's Jesus writing on the ground. He's writing something new. Because here's what Jesus was writing. Yes, the law shows that we don't measure up. But Jesus, with that very same hand that he wrote in the dirt, he would take the death that Belshazzar deserved, that the woman caught in adultery deserved, that all of us deserve from our sin, and he would allow those hands to be pinned to the cross, where he would take that death upon himself. Though he was sinless, though he measured up, he measured up to the law of God perfectly. He said, I'll take all the sin that everyone deserves upon myself. Verse 7 in John 8, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Here's what I've noticed. Some Christians are tempted to hold up the Bible, the written word of God, the truth of God, to hold it up in the Old Testament sense to look around at the world and its lawlessness and godlessness and its partying state and to simply say, you don't measure up. You are condemned. Now that's part of the story. But the other part of the story is what it says in the New Testament, that that finger of God kept writing through Jesus Christ. And we can hold up, we can write on the walls of our church and of our life and of our world that Jesus Christ took the death that we deserve. That's what he wrote when he wrote something new with his finger. This is what we write even on the walls of this very church. Max, can you show that first image? Here's some handwriting on the wall. Does anyone recognize that room? That's the room you're in. That's this sanctuary when it was being constructed. Pastor Neely had everybody come through and write scripture on the walls before the drywall went up. It's the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus that we write on the walls of our church, the walls of our lives, and the walls of our community. Another picture, too, of this girl writing that scripture on the wall. Isn't that awesome? This is our message to the world. Pastor Heather mentioned that last Tuesday we were in Stanford. Uh, our staff met there to pray. and you can show that picture now, too. That's Kimberly writing some scripture on the walls of that old 30,000-square-foot building. And uh, once the construction workers come and put all the studs in, we're going to invite all of you to come and write scripture on those walls as well. Because there is handwriting on the wall. 
And it's not just condemnation. It's not just that we don't measure up. It's that God sent Jesus Christ into the world to measure up for us, to take the death that we deserve from sin upon himself so that we can receive forgiveness and freedom. We say that our vision of this church is to know Christ and make him known. That's what we're making known by writing it on the walls, is the truth of his forgiveness. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.